Chapter thirty four of the Eye of Dread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Eye of Dread by Payne Erskine. Chapter thirty four. Jean Cragmire's Return. When at last Jean Cragmire returned, a glance at her face was quite enough to convince Ellen that things had not gone well. She held her peace, however, until her sister had had time to remove her bonnet and her shawl, and dress herself for the house, before she broke in upon Jean's grim silence, then said, "'Weel, Jean, I'm thinking ye'd better out with it.' "'It's Tilly no going to bring in the tea. It's past the hour. I see she grows slack waiting me to look after her.' "'Ring for it then, Jean.' I'm no for leaving my chair to ring for it. So Jean pulled the cord, and the tea was brought in due time, with hot scones and the unwanted addition of a bowl of roses to grace the tray. The posies are a greeting to ye, Jean. I ordered them myself. Well, and so ye an found him. Oh, sister, my heart's heavy and sour. I cannot thole to tell ye. But you mun doot, and the sooner ye tell the sooner you'll have him over. He was na there. Oh, Ellen, Ellen, he'd gone to America. I'm afraid the elder was right, and Hester has gone home to her death. Blow. Why were we so perceptible in letting her go? Jean, tell me all about it, and I'll pick my mind to it and help ye think it out. Don't you leave aught a thing for the time you left me till the north. Slowly Jean poured her sister's tea and handed it to her. Tuck your scorns well, they're hot, Ellen. I went to the place where he'd been linen, and I had the direction all right, but when I called, I found another man in possession. The man was an Englishman, so I got on the wheel for the speaking. Is little I could do with they Frenchman. He was a dirty little man, and he was daubing away at a picture when I opened the door and walked in. I said to him, Where's Richard? No, 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 I said to him, calling Richard by the name he's been going by. I said, Where's Robert Cater? He jumped up and began fitting about the room, setting me a chair and the like, and I asked again, is this the pendant room of robert carter and he said it was his room yes then he asked me was i any kin to him and i told him did he think i would come walking into his place the like or that if i was no kin to him and then he began telling me a string or talk and i couldn't na mak head or tell aught so i asked again if ye're a friend or his will ye tell me where he's gone and then he said it straight out to america and in far broke my heart for a minute jean sat and sipped her tea and wiped the tears from her eyes then she took up the thread of her story again then he seemed all at once to be thinking himself or something and he ran to his coat that was hanging behind the door on a nail and he drew out a letter through the pocket and here it is are you robert's aunt jean he asked and i told him anne surely he said 
Anne, I dare not think he old enough to be his aunt, Jean. Then he began to excuse himself for all forgetting to mail that letter. I promised him I would. He said, but you see, I have now been wearing my best coat since he left, and that's why. We gave him a banquet, he says, and I wore me best coat to the banquet, and he gave me this and told me to mail it after he was well away. And he says, I knew I ought not to put it in this coat pocket, for I'd forget it. And so he ran on, but it was not so good a coat, for the lining was a torn, and it was grey with dust, for I took it and brushed it, and mended it myself, before I left Paris. Again Jean paused, and taking out her neatly folded handkerchief, wiped away the falling tears, and sipped a moment at her tea in silence. Tuck ye a bit o' the scorns, Jean. You'll no help matters by going where old eating. If the lad's done a shameful thing, you'll no help by him breeding. Ye mourn fall. Ye done your best, I doubt, although mistakenly to try to keep it from me. He was say bonny, Ellen, and that like his mother. Twould melt in the heart all ye ought to look at him. Panel ye miles to tell me. Sure, it never took ye these ten days to find out what ye had told it. The man was as a sort o' a body, and he took me out to tea with him at a cafe, and he paid it himself. But I'm thinking his purse was sair empty when he got through with it. I could na help it. Men are vara musty bodies. I made it up to him though, for I bided a day or two at the hotel and went to the room the petting room where i found him there was where he stayed for he was keeping things as they were he said for the one who was to come into the things robert cater had left there ye'll find all about that when ye read the letter and i made it as clean as ye hand before i left him he made a dull face when he came in and found me at it but i'm thinking he came to like it after all i heard him whistling to himself as i went down the stair after telling him good-bye gin ye had seen the dirt i took out or that room ellen ye would a held up your two hands in horror there were crusts and bones behind the picture standing against the wall that the rats and mice had been gnawing there and there were bottles on the shelf of an old empty and covered with cobwebs and dust and the floor was so thick with dirt it had to be scrapped and what with old papers and rags i had a great basket full taken away let be a bundle of shirts that needed mending i took the shirts to the hotel and there i mended them until they were good enough to wear and sent them back so there was as good as the price or the dinner he gave me and nothing said no read the letter and you'll see why i'm greeting richard's gone to america to perjure his soul he says it was to guy himself up to the law but from the letter to hester it's likely his courage failed him there's nothing to make aught but that and he's say bonny and sweet like his mither jean cragnell threw her apron over her head and rocked herself back and forth while ellen set down her cup and reluctantly opened the letter many pages 
in a long business envelope she sighed as she took them out it's a woeful thing how much trouble and sorrow a man body brings into the world with him no there's richer trailing sorrow after him wherever he goes but you mind it came from Catherine's first marrying with larry kildene and winning right away with him replied jean it was larry hilda her ought while she had been brought for safety they both sat in silence while ellen read the letter to the very end at last with a long injured sigh she spoke it's no like a lad that could write sick a letter to perjure his soul no one ye greet jean he's given ye everything he possesses we won all the twelve pictures in the salon think oot and now he's got fra the ones he sold except enough to take him to america ye can't take it no i had given them to the englishman what has his room i couldn't now take them jean continued to sway back and forth with her apron over her head ye have given them away all the pictures painted by your ain niece's son ah twa accepted by the salon child child i do not think it all ye ellen leaned forward in her chair reprovingly with the letter crushed into her lap i told him to keep them safe as he was doing and if he got no word from me after sax months he was to bide in the room with them they were his well you're wiser than i thought ye for a long time they sat in silence until at last ellen took up the letter to read it again and began with the date at the head jean she cried holding it out to her sister and pointing to the date with shaking finger will ye look at that no are we both daft it's no possible for him to have gotten there before that letter was written to hester look ye jean look ye here tis the third day of june it was written by his own hand count it out helen count it out here's the calendar a la mark no we'll have it it's twelve weeks since hester and i left and she got the letter the day before that and it's fifteen days and it takes twelve weeks mare for the boat to come across the ocean and that gives fourteen days mare before that letter to hester was written and three days fra liverpool here picks it back to seventeen days and fifteen days max thirty-two days and here it's nearing the last o june jean when hester's friend was written that letter to hester richard was just sailing for france thank the lord thank the lord ejaculated her sister verily ellen tis you for having the head to think it ought thank the lord and now the dear soul wept again for very gladness ellen folded her hands in her lap complacently and nodded her head ye've a good head yourself jean but ye i let yourself get excited no it's only for us to bide in peace and quiet and know that the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof until we hear fra hester eh may the lord put it in her heart to write soon while the good quagmires of aberdeen were composing themselves to the hopeful view that ellen's discovery of the date had given them larry kildene and amalia were seated in a car luxurious for that day 
speeding eastward over the desert across which Amalia and her father and mother had fled in fear and privation so short a time before. She gazed through the plate glass windows and watched the quivering heat waves rising from the burning sands. Well, she knew those terrible plains. She saw the bleaching bones of animals that had fallen by the way, even as their own had fallen, and her eyes filled. She remembered how Harry King had come to them one day, riding on his yellow horse, riding out of the setting sun toward them, and how his companionship had comforted them, and his courage and help had saved them more than once, and how, had it not been for him, their bones too might be lying there now, whitening in the heat. Oh, Harry, Harry King! she who had once crossed those very plains behind a jaded team now felt that the rushing train was crawling like a snail larry cadillon seated facing her and watching her leaned forward and touched her hand we're going at an awful pace he said do you think of ever crossing these plains with the speed of the wind she smiled a wan smile yes that is so but it still is very slowly we go when I measure with my thoughts the swiftness. In my thoughts we should fly, fly. It will be only three days to Chicago from here, and then one night at a hotel to rest and clean up, and the next day we are there, in Louvette. Think of it. We're an hour late by the schedule, so better think of something else. We'll reach an eating station soon. Get ready for there will be a rush, and we'll not have chance for a good meal again, for no one knows how long. Maybe you're not hungry, but I could eat a mule. I like this, do you know, travelling in comfort. To think of me going home to save Peter's bank. He chuckled to himself a moment, then resumed. And that's equivalent to saving the man's life. Well, it's a poor way for a man to go through life, able to see no way but his own way it narrows his vision and shortens his reach for see let him find his way close to him and whoop he's at an end again larry sat and watched her as he silently chuckled over his present situation again he reached out and patted her hand and again she smiled at him but he knew where her thoughts were harry king had been gone but a short time when Madame Ravoska, in spite of Amalia's watchfulness, wandered away for the last time. On this occasion she did not go toward the fall, but went along the trail towards the plains below. It was nearly evening when she eluded Amalia and left the cabin. Frantically they searched for her all night, riding through the darkness, carrying torches and calling in all directions, as far as they supposed her feet could have carried her but did not find her until early morning, lying peacefully under a little scrub pine, far down the trail. By her side lay her husband's worn coat, with the lining torn away, and a small heap of ashes and charred papers. She had been destroying the documents he had guarded so long, but she would not leave them to witness against him. Tenderly they took her up and carried her back to the cabin, and laid her in her bunk but she only babbled of Paul, telling happily that she had seen him, and that he was coming up the trail after her, 
and that now they would live on the mountain in peace and go no more to poland and quickly after that she dropped to sleep again and never woke she was with paul at last then amelia dressed her in the black silk larry had bought her and they carried her down the trail and laid her in a grave beside that of her husband and there larry read the prayers of the english church over the two lonely graves while amelia knelt at his side when they went down the trail to take the train after receiving betty's letter they marked the place with a cross which larry had made truth to tell as they sat in the car facing each other larry himself was sad although he tried to keep amelia's thoughts cheerful at last she woke to the thought that it was only for her he maintained that forced light-heartedness and the realization came to her that he also had cause for sorrow on leaving the spot where he had so long lived in peace to go to a friend in trouble the thought helped her and she began to converse with larry instead of sitting silently wrapped in her own griefs because her heart was with harry king filled with anxiety for him she talked mostly of him and that pleased larry well for he too had need to speak of harry now there's a character for you as fine as sweet as a woman and strong too i've seen enough of men to know the best of them when i find them i saw it in him the moment i got him up to my cabin and laid him in my bunk he he minded me of one that's gone his voice dropped to the undertone of reminiscence of one that's long gone long gone could you tell me about it a little just a very little amelia leaned toward him pleadingly it was the first time she had ever asked of larry cadill or harry king a question that might seem like seeking to know a thing purposely kept from her but her intuitive nature told her the time had now come when larry longed to speak of himself and the loneliness of his soul pleaded for him it's little indeed i can tell you for it's little he ever told me but it came to me more than once more than once that he might be my own son amalia recoiled with a shock of surprise she drew in her breath and looked in his eyes eloquently oh oh and you never asked him no not in so many words no but i i came near enough to give him a chance to tell the truth if he would but he had reasons of his own and he would not then where we go now to him you have been to that place before not i have and he he knows it not he knows it well i told him it was there i left my son my little son but he would say nothing i was not even sure he knew the place until these letters came to me he has as yet written me no word only the message he sent me in his letter to you that he will some time write me then larry took betty's letter from his pocket and turned it over and over sadly this letter tells me more than else but it sets me strangely adrift in my thoughts it's not at all like what i had thought it might be amalia leaned forward eagerly oh tell me more a little what you thought might be 
This letter has added more to the heartache than all else that could be. Either Harry King is my son, Richard Kildene, or he is the son of the man who hated me and brought me sorrow. There you see the reason he would tell me nothing. He could not. But how is it that you do not know your own son? It is so strange. Larry's eyes filled as he looked off over the arid plains. It's a long story, that. I told it to him once to try to stir his heart toward me. But it was of no use, and I'll not tell it now, but this. I'd never looked on my boy since I held him in my arms, a heartbroken man, until he came to me there, that is, if he were he. But if Harry King is my son, then he is all the more a liar and a coward. If the claim against him is true, I can't have it so. It is not so. He is no liar and no coward. Amalia spoke with finality. I tell you, if he is not my son, then he is the son of the man who hated me. But even that man will not show him as his son. The little girl who wrote this letter to me, she pleads with me to come on and set them all right. But even she who loved him, who has loved him, can urge no proof beyond her own consciousness as to his identity. It is beyond my understanding. The little girl, she, she has loved your son? She has loved Harry, Harry King? Whom has she loved? Amalia only breathed the question. She has not said, I only read between the lines. How is it so you read between the lines? What is it you read? Larry saw he was making a mistake and resumed hurriedly. I'll tell you what little I know later, and we will go there and find out the rest. But it may be more to my sorrow than my joy. Perhaps that's why I'm taking you there, to be a help to me. I don't know. I have a friend who will take us both in, and who will understand as no one else. I go to neither my joy nor my sorrow. They are of the world. I will be no more of the world, but I will live only in love to the Christ. So may I find in my heart peace, as the sweet sisters who guarded me in my childhood, away from danger, when that my father and mother were in fear and sorrow living. They told me there only made one fine peace from sorrow. I will go to them. Perhaps, perhaps they will take me again. I do not know. But I will go first with you, Sir Kildine, wherever you wish me to go, for you are my friend now, as no one else, but for you, I am on earth forever alone. End of chapter 34 Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England